Tonight, we are going to talk about a topic that is not exactly a fun one to talk about. It's a concept that I think is very important to the conversation around our faith because it's kind of what people think of as the evil twin brother of faith, and that's doubt. And doubt is something that is part of the human struggle. And I think what better story to study than the character known as Doubting Thomas himself? Now, doubt has been defined as the feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction. And what I've seen uh, very often as I, right now, a huge part of what I do uh, as a part of the Good Lion Podcast Network and as a part of teaching uh, young adults is I'm talking to young people all over the world from different countries. Um, these are quite often uh, Gen Z and millennials, people from my generation and younger, and who grew up in the church. And for a lot of them, what they experienced was that doubt was not something that was ever accepted at the church. Uh, to let anyone know that you struggled with doubt when it comes to anything regarding faith is quite often something where it's discouraged. Doubters are looked down upon. This idea of, you know, good Christians shouldn't have doubts. They should just simply believe. And for many Christians, doubt can cast the shadow over their faith. It can just hang in the background, hang in the distance, discourage you, and make you feel like, man, I I just, I'm not measuring up to what I'm supposed to be. And many hide their doubts. They never ask questions. And I can understand this. When I was going to school here at Calvary Christian School, if I didn't know something, I didn't want to raise my hand and ask a question, because what if the other kids would laugh at me and think, well, (laughs) you don't know what that is. What's wrong with you? No one wants to seem foolish. But a huge part of the problem is very many young people end up growing up in Christian environments, Christian bubbles, going to Christian schools, going to youth group, and they never ask their questions. They never express their doubts. And what ends up happening is they go off to college, and then the first time they're introduced to some new ideas and some new concepts, they walk away from their faith entirely. And this is an epidemic that we're currently seeing right now. Many of you may be seeing this with some of your own children. And I think that something that we need to touch on is that Jesus wants his church to be a place where we can be open and honest with these struggles. Because the reality is it's not just youth that struggle with doubt. It's those of us who are my age and older as well. I believe Jesus wants to move beyond the shadow of a doubt. So we're going to be in John chapter 20. If you can, uh, turn with me there, like I said, and I'm going to set up the story, and we're going to start with the cross. So in the book of John, what has happened is Jesus has died on the cross, and for the disciples, this was horrible. This is the dark night of the soul, to see the man that you loved, the man you gave your life to, the man that you followed for years, the man that you said, this is the Messiah, this is God himself, hanging on a cross, bleeding and dying. That is devastating to someone's faith. That is shattering. The disciples were just wrecked from this. But then, as you know, as you know, the story goes, we have a resurrection. And Jesus rises out of the tomb, and we have him appearing to some of the women, and Peter, and I believe it was John. Yeah, Peter and John. And, you know, these guys see Jesus resurrected, like the first son of the new creation, ready to, like, go and and, and give people his spirit and to spread the gospel. But for the rest of the disciples, they didn't see that. And so they're just taking Peter's word. They're taking John's word. And there's a struggle there to to believe. We'll look at John chapter 20, verse 19. 
This is where we see Jesus show up in the story. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and he says, peace be with you. And after he said that, he showed them his hands and his side where the holes that had pierced Jesus were. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord and and Jesus said, peace be with you. And the father has sent me, I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is an amazing moment for the disciples because they, they were experiencing doubt and now Jesus has shown up and it's just been this amazing experience that has catapulted their faith. From, they've gone from doubt to now it's like Jesus is standing right in front, front, front of them. Like how can they not uh, believe? But someone was left out of this amazing religious experience. Do you guys know who was left out? Who wasn't there? It was Thomas. John chapter 20, look at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, man. We've seen him. He's there. But he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand into his side, I am not going to believe. Maybe you've found yourself in Thomas's place. Maybe there's been somebody in your life where, you know, they've had this amazing religious experience. Like, they're just telling you, like, oh, man, I went to this conference or this camp, and God showed up, and he spoke to me, and exactly what I was going through, he knew exactly what to say. Or someone spoke to me prophetically, or there was a miracle. Someone in my life was sick, and they were healed. And you're listening to that, and you're like, but I haven't seen that. I was talking once to one of my former students. We were up at a camp. And she said, all of my friends have these amazing emotional, spiritual experiences at camp, but why not me? I love Jesus, but I'm not feeling what they feel. I can't see what they see. And that's a real struggle that people face. So many of us haven't gone through some of the things we've seen other people go through, and we're really just left with with scripture and with our pastors, but it's hard sometimes to bridge that gap of disbelief. I'm, I'm lucky. I consider myself so lucky because I've had so many experiences in my life where I'm like, there's no way to explain this except for Jesus. Like, this can't be a coincidence. This is miraculous. This is amazing. I, I have a handful of experiences that I can hold on to where Jesus has shown me the holes in his hands, but so many have not experienced that, and the struggle can be so difficult. And you might think, why? Why doesn't he show up the way he did for that person? Doesn't he love me? And this is exactly what Thomas is experiencing, being left out and struggling to believe. And so I think it's important for us to ask as we examine this story, how does Jesus respond to doubters? We often feel when we doubt this deep shame and frustration about our doubts. And It doesn't help that quite often well-meaning Christians can say things like, just get your act together. Just tough it up and believe. But how does Jesus respond? I I love this story. It's one of the most beautiful stories, I think, in the New Testament. I'm excited to just dive into it with you. Look at verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He literally like walks through the walls. He comes through, he breaks down the barrier and he shows up in the room with them. And then look at verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, hey, Thomas, put your finger here. 
See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas just like, he's like, oh, my Lord and my God. He believes. And then Jesus tells him, because you've seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and who yet believe. So how does Jesus respond to doubters? I mean, we can read verse 27, right? Where he says, stop doubting and believe. And that can be our main takeaway. We just, just stop your doubting. Just stop your doubting and believe. But listen, don't divorce his words from his actions. Is it an angry, hey, just stop your doubting and believe what's wrong with you? No, look at his actions. He shows up. He walks through the wall. He breaks through the barrier. And he says, Thomas, hey, I'm here. Look, this is what you wanted to see. I'm revealing myself to you. Here's the holes in my hands. Here's the wound in my side. He shows up. He shows up. And that's what he loves to do. Doubt can often be this obstacle when it comes to relationships. You know, if I say, I love you to my wife, and she's like, I don't know, I kind of doubt it. That, that's significant. That means that there's a problem there. And so we've got this problem between Thomas and Jesus where he's doubting Jesus' ability to show up. And Jesus says, I will fix this problem. I will show up. I will walk through the wall that separates us from one another. I will reveal myself to you. It's interesting because, you know, what do we all call Thomas? What's his name? Doubting Thomas. But that's not the name that Jesus gave him. That's the name that the church later on gave him because he doubted like one time and it was recorded and now he's got this nickname forever and ever. What would your nickname be if everything you've ever done was recorded in the Bible? Like, what would my nickname be? I don't even want to know. It sounds terrible. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the, the sad thing about Thomas is like, we can pair them sometimes. I feel like when we think of like, you know, the, the hierarchy of the disciples, it's almost like you've got, you know, Peter at the top and James and John and Andrew. And then you got like Judas down at the bottom and then like right above him is Thomas, right? Because he doubted. But like, think about it. What about the other disciples? What about Peter? Peter's doubting all the time. Peter walked on water and then he sank. He Doubted Jesus so much, he denied him three times. We should call him doubting Peter, right? Like all of the disciples, they were in the garden praying with Jesus and then they run away at the minute of the sign of trouble. These men all doubted. And this story being included in all of these stories of doubt, it's actually a beautiful thing because it's this acknowledgement that followers of Jesus actually do doubt and that's normal. And it's a part of the experience, but look at his response Look at the way he responds. Followers of Jesus doubt, and yet Jesus is big enough to handle it. There's a guy named Matt Deason who has written a book that detailed his journey from atheism to Jesus called Under the Streetlights. And the foreword to that book was actually written by a guy named Evan Wickham, who was one of the youth pastors here and worship pastors here. He was my youth pastor. He's just taught me a lot. And he posted this foreword uh, on Facebook, and I, I read it, and just, it just, I was like, this is so good, so I'm going to share it with you. Here's what Evan writes. I was standing with a friend in the forest of the mountains of California. It was a starry, moonless night. The midsummer air was warm and clean. Satellites visibly traversed the vast expanse of the dome firmament. The sky didn't have to compete with the city lights. My friends and I were Christian high school students at a Christian youth retreat, probably Green Valley Lake, where a lot of you guys have been. 
singing worship songs to Jesus around a bonfire with hundreds of other students. I asked my friend, do you ever wonder if any of this is real? I surprised myself with my own question. Pulling his eyes away from the sky, he asked if any of what is real? Jesus, Christianity, the Bible. I'm a pastor's kid. I was raised in church and I don't really know if any of this is real. Uh, I'm starting to wonder if any of it's real. Do you ever wonder? At first, my friend didn't say anything. Then he smiled and turned his gaze back to the stars and said, I like to wonder. And that was it. For the first time in my life, I saw the twin cravings of wonder and doubt as just that, cravings. Wonder is to reality as thirst is to water. It's like a magnetic field emanating outward from the heart of the really real. Wonder is when we feel that pull. Doubt is to faith as hunger is to food. An unhealthy relationship with doubt can be deadly. On the one hand, fear of doubt can lead us to binge eating on fact claims and ultimately uh, sort of a narrow-minded version of fundamentalism. On the other hand, love of doubt can lead to a spiritual anorexia in which doubt and deconstruction themselves become codependent addictions. That, that's, that's so good. On that summer night under the stars, I paid my respect to wonder and doubt. Things haven't been perfect between us, but I'd like to think wonder, doubt, and I have shared a healthy relationship ever since. It's so profound. I think it touches on the reality that we all, we all crave truth. And we, in all of our journey, will wrestle with doubt. There, you know, there's, there's ways that we doubt. Here's some examples. These are just common ways that people have doubted, common ways that maybe you and I have even doubted. That things like, I'll never find love. That, that was a huge doubt I had growing up. Or, if God is good, why do we suffer? Or, God can't help my trial. Or, you know, why is this sin such a big deal? I doubt what scripture says about it. Or if God is loving, then why do people go to hell? Why is this happening to me? I've been such a good person. I don't understand. Or maybe I've sinned so much. God, I doubt that he can actually redeem me. This is a universal struggle. I don't know one Jesus follower that I actually look up to who has not had some doubt in their life. G.K. Chesterton, the, uh, the amazing theologian and thinker says, it is materialists and madmen who never have doubts. I like that. (laughs) Some of you may have like more of a legalistic bent and you might think like, oh, not me. (laughs) I've never doubted. Uh, You know, the chances are if you haven't doubted, you probably haven't actually thought very long and deeply about issues of theology and faith. For me, like, you know, the, the, you grow up in, in a church and you kind of hear things the same way. And then once you start to realize there's other Christians that think differently and there's different eschatologies and different, you know, the whole Calvinism, Arminianism debate. Like, once you start to, like, learn about that stuff, it can actually become very overwhelming. Uh, I know it was for me when I first started to learn about all those things. And, and I think for a lot of young people, what I see in them when they start to learn, not just what's outside uh, their own church, but then when they start getting exposed to other ways of thinking, that just people out in the world are thinking, out in college and things like that, it becomes overwhelming and, and they begin to doubt. And it, became, it can be easy for us to say like, oh, doubters are just weak. They just need to get it together. But I think that's the kind of mindset that like the faith healer televangelists have. You know, where somebody's praying and, you know, like, oh, they're praying for their grandma to get healed and then their grandma doesn't get healed. And it's just like, oh, you should just pray it hard enough. That's not how it works. It's more complex than that. I would say doubting is a very normal part of the faith experience. And if you don't agree with me, just look at all of the examples of the disciples. And you know what? Let's consider the hall of faith, right? Let's throw that on the screen. The hall of faith, right? I've got the, the children's action Bible 
you know, representative there. Um, the hall of faith, right? Wait, wait, Hebrews 11, it's this list of all these great heroes of faith. Noah, by faith, built an ark, saved the human race. No big deal. Abraham, by faith, was willing to offer his son as a sacrifice. On paper, that doesn't sound so great. You have to know the context of the story. It's like, wait, why is that a good thing? Why is he? <laughs> Sarah, by faith, had a son in old age. Jacob, by faith, blessed his grandsons. Moses, by faith, left a life of royalty to lead God's people to freedom. The next slide. Uh, Rahab, by faith, protected Joshua and Caleb from the enemies of God. Gideon, by faith, defeated an entire army with no weapons. That's, that's a good story. That's one of my favorites. Barak, by faith, led troops into battle. Samson, by faith, defeated the Philistines. And David, by faith, deleted... Uh, deleted? Yeah, I guess he deleted him. <laughs> deleted! <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but, you know, David, by faith, defeated the giant Goliath and became the king of Israel. So we have, we have, you know, we have these heroes of faith and they trusted God and it's easy to read the list and just feel so inferior. Like, oh, I could never be like David. I could never be, you know, like Samson, any of these guys. Like, ah, they, they probably never doubted. Well, that's where you're wrong. When you study the Bible, you'll realize that the hall of faith is actually, it's, it's, a, it's a mirror twin other side of the coin. The hall of faith is actually also a hall of doubt. Look at the stories of these people. Noah, by doubt, gets wasted and stumbles his entire family. Abraham, by doubt, gives his wife away to other men. Sarah, by doubt, laughs at God when he says, you're going to have a child and has Abraham sleep with the maid because she doesn't believe that she can actually get pregnant through Abraham, who's really old. Jacob, by doubt, steals his brother's birthright. Moses, by doubt, lashes out in anger and murders a man. Rahab, by doubt, lived life as a prostitute. Gideon, by doubt, hid from his enemies. Barak, by doubt, was a coward. Samson, by doubt, sacrifices his strength and calling for sex. And David, by doubt, committed adultery and many murders. Are you starting to see the picture? Like, do you get it? it? It's remarkable. These people are listed in the hall of faith, and yet they're human. They're flawed. Like, why are they allowed in this hall of faith? Well, it's this beautiful picture of one of the major themes of the Bible, and that is God works his perfect, amazing plan through flawed and broken humanity. Despite humans' constant failures, they are made righteous by God's efforts, not their own. God works in spite of our doubts to make our faith much stronger. And I love the story of Thomas because, you know, if you read church history, his story doesn't end with him as a doubter. He's a martyr. He actually dies for Christ. He's, he's killed for his own faith for standing up for the truth. I, I love what uh, Professor Tim Mackey says. He says it's so important that we learn to deconstruct our doubts and go to the source of our doubts. That's really important. If you got a car and it's not working, you know, if you think, oh, you know, this car was built this way, it was built broken. No, it's just over time, the car encounters things and goes through things and goes through wear and tear and eventually things break down. Something's actually wrong on the inside and you've got to take the car apart and see what's in there. But the same way when we doubt, it's often because something has happened to us. We've experienced some hardship and now something is broken on the inside. Tim goes on to say, doubt is often not a result of deep-seated beliefs, but circumstances that shake those beliefs. So we examine the root cause versus what I actually know to be true. We look at things like someone in your family is struggling with a sickness, and that's what you're seeing in front of you. But you have to remember, you have to, you have to think about the, the truth that you know. I know that God loves me. I know that God loves my sick family member. 
recently I struggled watching a, a dear friend go through a hard, messy divorce. But I have to contrast that with the knowledge that I know that God is good. You look at the news and, and you, you look at what's going on in the world and you see people starving in third world countries and then you contrast that with the reality of God is just or maybe you're jealous of your friend's life. Contrast that with, I, I know that God has blessed me also in ways that sometimes I even forget. Or, or maybe we think, you know, sin is wrong versus the reality of like, but it's fun and it numbs the pain. What are you going through versus what is actually true? The enemy feeds our doubts. You know, think about Thomas. He's looking at Jesus hanging on the cross and he's thinking, okay, I know that he's the king, but I watched him die. I watched him bleed out. This is why we need to go to Jesus. We need him in our moments of doubt because we experience these things and it's real. And right now there's so much talk about deconstruction. I don't know if you guys have heard that term. It's very popular right now with young people my age and below. This idea of deconstruction of your faith. I think that it's very important that we also remember to deconstruct our doubts, to take our doubts apart and see what is at the root of these doubts? What is actually the cause? My friend Brian Higgins, the co-host of my podcast, we were talking about this and he was saying, very often when you have someone struggling, you need to ask questions to find out what is actually the root of that struggle. And then you, you deal with that root. You know, I think that we need to go to the source, ask good questions, and, and we can run into situations where it's like, you know, I used to think that God was this, you know, holy, righteous, awesome, just, pure. But then if you're doubting that, then ask the question, what has changed in my life? Has this influenced my view of God? This is the struggle of deconstruction so many people are going through. Here, here's something that I think is really important to, to think about. What I'm seeing right now in the church especially with young people, uh, who I love so much. The, the, my, my former students, I still talk to so many of them, and I just, I love them. Like, I want to see them follow Jesus. I've got friends that I went to high school with. I want to see them follow Jesus. I'm seeing this epidemic right now of deconstruction. And what, what's happening is people, whether it was the church they grew up in or the family, the Christian family they grew up in, they're realizing that they're looking at the Bible and then they're looking at people around them who are Christians who like didn't act the way the Bible said. And they're like, oh, that's not good. Like, I don't like that. And then they're looking at like things like, for instance, um, this is a big one that comes up. Um, you know, you've got Christians who would believe things like, you know, abortion is wrong or, or homosexuality is wrong. Uh, like sinful to act on, not, not the attraction, but to act on it, you know, to live out um, and to act on that kind of attraction. Just like if you're single and you're attracted and you want to sleep around or you're married and you want to commit adultery, right? These things that we know is sin. What has happened is a lot of young people have seen Christians in their life be hateful towards people who are sinning in that way and to like just be dogmatic and angry and just like, oh, those people are horrible. And so it's caused a lot of Christians to go, Oh man, like young Christians, like Jesus said, be kind and loving, but like my parents and my, you know, my, my, you know the adults in my life and the, the Christians I see, like they're not doing that. And so this deconstruction happens. And here's the problem with this. And this is what I try to tell young people. If, 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 if you seeing Christians not fully follow the way of Jesus and be hateful and angry and rude and all these things, if that's causing you to leave Jesus and deconstruct, 
what is happening is it's like you're living in a house and you discover termites in your house and your reaction is to burn your house down. But instead, you need to get rid of the termites. Like, find out, like all of us, you know, th- those of you guys who, uh, you know, came uh, out of Catholicism and you, you came to Calvary or, or other, you know, uh, we ha- we've had people at this church who came from uh, cults. The idea is not to just leave faith. It's to discover, okay, what, what are the pain points? What are the things that are not actually adding up? And then attack those things. But don't just burn the house down. And we see that so much right now. I think that God invites his children to, to, to address these things and to know him better through asking questions. That's the thing. He's not afraid. He's not afraid of questions. He invites them. He says, ask, seek, and knock. And it's so much better when you're going through a hard time. It's so much better to ask deep questions than to just say, oh, you know, God works in mysterious ways. That's been something that's driven me crazy over the years is when I had a deep question and I went to somebody and said, hey, what do you think about this? And it's just like, ah, I don't know. God works in mysterious ways. No, God actually calls us to seek out the mystery, to try to learn, to fall more in love with him, to ask, seek, and knock. The problem is when we don't ask. You know, think of doubt as like a pile of bricks in front of you. Whatever that pile of bricks becomes is up to you. If you just leave it there, it becomes a wall between you and God and others. But if you allow Jesus to walk with you through the deconstruction and then be willing to allow him to actually reconstruct you, not culture reconstructing you, that's the problem. Christians deconstruct and then they let culture politics, social media, thinkers and activists, they allow them to reconstruct their faith, but we should actually be letting Jesus reconstruct our faith. And if we do that, he will take those bricks and he'll build a bridge back to him, a stronger foundation. It takes time, it takes patience. Many of us are going to face doubts. Many of you might be facing doubts right now. What will you do with those doubts? I would encourage you to invite loving mentors into your life. Invite people who can speak to you with compassion and not judge you. Whatever your doubt is, whatever you're dealing with, invite people to speak into your life and really engage with those tough conversations. And listen, for those of you guys who are not struggling, for anyone here who's like, I don't have any doubts right now. Okay, well, you, you will eventually. But if you're somebody here who you're, you have no doubts about anything, I would encourage you to be the kind of person who would hold that position with grace and with love, like an open invitation. If you're strong in your faith right now, don't look down on the people who are struggling. Invite them in. Invite them in with love and grace. And I am here. Let's talk through this and let's pray. And even if you don't agree with me, like I'm going to tell you what I believe is true, but I'm going to do it in a way where you know that you're loved. Many young people feel pushed away from their faith because when they try to talk to people, it, they, they, feel, they feel pushed out. That's, that's a struggle. There, there's, a, there's a girl that I used to know. Um, she was really close to me and my wife. And right now, like, she's just kind of like going off the deep end. Um, and, but she knows that she can talk to us. And she reached out recently and was like, hey, I've got a question about this issue. And we talked through it in a really loving way. And I don't, Think she agreed with me, but she, she listened. And that's, 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 that's where the power is because God can use that. He plants that seed 
And it takes time, but in time, he can make that change in someone's life. And so I'm just trying to encourage us. Let's be open to others who are struggling. Let's invite them in. Let's be a space where they can hear the gospel. Uh, Here's another quote from Evan that I love. He says, modernism says, I think, therefore I am. Postmodernism says, I doubt, therefore I deconstruct. But Christianity says, I love, therefore I'm loved. I love this. Yes, it, 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 can be, it can be actually helpful sometimes to deconstruct, sometimes not. But if you deconstruct without reconstruction, all you have is that empty pile of bricks. It is so much more important for us to use God's love as our reference for truth, our foundation, our rock, our home base. And a perfect example of this is Peter. Remember the story where Peter sank? He's walking on the water. Jesus is walking on the water. Peter's in the boat. He's like, I want to go and meet Jesus. If he can do it, I can do it. He has this great moment of faith. He steps out and then what happens? He sinks. He sees the wind and the waves and he doubts and he was having this amazing religious experience walking on water and then almost instantly he doubts and he's sinking and he's drowning. But what happens? Matthew 14, 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? This moment of great faith and this moment of huge doubt. But what is the one constant between his moment of huge faith and his moment of lowest doubt? The one constant constant thing was that Jesus loved him and he was there for him. That was what was constant. He was able to walk on water because of his faith in Jesus and he was pulled up from his doubt because of Jesus's love for him. Jesus is the constant In a few moments, Peter illustrates many of our lives, the struggle. Does Jesus abandon him while he doubts? No, the hand is always there for the taking. If you're here and you're wrestling with doubt, you need to look at the example of Peter. Peter knew after this experience, if I trust Jesus, I can walk on water. But if I doubt Jesus, he will be my rescue. My biggest takeaway for tonight for you from these two stories is that Jesus is there for those who doubt. Nothing too crazy or complicated tonight. I just want you to walk away with this buried in your mind. No matter where you are on the doubt spectrum, Jesus is here for you. And look at, look at, uh, look at the words, right? Again, there's some of us who have that bent. I can have this bent. Because I, I personally, I've doubted a lot in my life, but I feel like my doubt has always pushed me away or pushed me towards Jesus. Like the more I've doubted, the more I've struggled, the more I've realized how big and complicated everything is, the more I've clung to Jesus. So I can have a bent where when I see my friend doubting and my friend not getting it, you look at these words, right? What does he say to Thomas? Stop your doubting and believe. What does he say to Peter? Oh, you of little faith. And we take those words and we divorce them from the context of Jesus's actions. And we just, we, we just tell our friends, stop your doubting. Yo, you have little faith, right? And that's our attitude. Don't divorce the words of Jesus from his actions. What does he say to Thomas? Stop your doubting and believe. But what does he do? He shows up and he shows him the holes in his hands. He says to Peter, oh, you have little faith. But what is he doing when he says it? He's reaching down and he's pulling him up and embracing him. Jesus will always tell us the truth, but he'll always do it in a way where we know that we're loved by him. 
And I hope this is giving some of you guys freedom. No matter how big your doubts, God is bigger. Dominic Doan, who wrote an amazing book uh, called uh, When Faith Fails, I would highly recommend it. It's his story of how he went through his own doubts and came out the other side. Dominic Doan says, a hunger, or as hunger prompts your mind to find food, doubt prompts your mind to find reality. Don't just sit with your doubts. If you do, you'll sink. Instead, wrestle, search, ask, seek, knock. Recognize that hand of Jesus that is always there. It's not a hand that's temporarily there, and then if you don't respond right away, he's like, ah, forget it. The hand is always there. Now back to Thomas. Again, the nickname Doubting Thomas. Maybe some of you have been called that. Or maybe some of you have seen yourself that way. You look at Thomas and you're like, oh, that's just me. You know, I'm just, I'm just a doubter. And maybe you have this idea in your mind of like, I, I won't believe it unless I see it. Think about it, right? Like Mary sees the tomb and she comes back and she's like, hey, like Mary, you know, Mary Magdalene, Peter, John, they come back. We've seen Jesus. He's alive. Does it say the other disciples jumped up with joy and belief in that moment? No, like they struggled. And at the start of this chapter, what does Jesus do? He appears to them. He shows them proof. They all doubted just as much as Thomas. And, and they continue to doubt. That's the thing. If you, this is the crazy thing. It wasn't like Jesus showed up and proved himself and they never doubted again. Look at, we're, we're, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm going to read a passage from Matthew. It's nested in yet another uh, Evan Wickham quote. I'm a fan. Um, he says this. In one of my favorite stories from the Bible, Jesus is standing with his friends and clearing, and on a clearing on a hilltop near Jerusalem in Israel. The Mediterranean air is crisp and dry. This wouldn't be such a big deal if Jesus hadn't just risen from the dead, but now he's standing in their midst alive. And in Matthew twenty-eight seventeen, we see the reaction of his disciples when they saw him. They worshipped him, but what? But some what? doubted. That's crazy. Like they'd seen him resurrected and yet like some still doubted. They're still like, I'm not sure about this. Like, I, I don't know. This Christianity thing is pretty crazy. With this, we followed this guy. He died. Now he's back. Like this is, they, they doubted. Evan goes on to say, the resurrected Jesus is now physically standing before them and some are still in doubt. That is fascinating to me. And it gets even better. In his very next statement, Jesus still commissions them To believers and doubters alike, he says, go and make disciples. On that hilltop, alongside the risen Jesus, the believers and the doubters both belonged. This story provokes us to open up to the best news in the universe. You're all invited to be something, you're you're invited to be a part of something bigger than you could possibly dream of. Even those who struggle. That's the thing. I talk to so many people who are like, I just can't, follow Jesus right now because I just, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have my theology figured out. I don't have my future figured out. I'm struggling with sin. I just don't know how to actually repent of this because this is so nested into my life. And it's like people want to get their act together before they can follow Christ. But that's not the story of any of the disciples. They were messed up. They were broken. And as they followed Jesus, they were renewed and fashioned into his image as the days went on. And that's, that's my story. I'm nowhere near perfection ask my wife. (laughs) Um, That was supposed to get a laugh. Um, Everyone's like, you sinner. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not perfect and you're not either. 
We follow Jesus, we're broken, and yet even in our doubts and struggles, he's there for us. Jesus is here for those who doubt, and that's so encouraging. Jesus' disciples all doubted. You know, Peter, right, the boat, we talked about that, he sank. Jesus' death, he denied. Uh, You've got that story of, you know, the disciples on the boat and the storm's going on. They're like, Jesus, we're going to die, and Jesus just stands up and he's like, peace, be still. Think about feeding the 5,000. You've got Five loaves and two fishes, I think it was, or two loaves and five fishes. I'm not sure. I'm horrible at Bible memory verse memorization, but it's one of those. And like, how are they going to feed them? They're all doubting. Like, how are we going to do this? And Jesus shows up and takes the loaves and fishes and molds. Like, Jesus, this is what he does. He loves to blow our minds. He loves to blow our minds and say, I know you doubt, but watch what I can do. Watch what I can do. How does Jesus respond to doubting disciples? He visits them. He speaks kindly to them. He takes them patiently to address their doubts. He breathes his spirit into them and he gives them a mission and a purpose. I love what uh, David Flower says. He says, Jesus' willingness to accommodate Thomas's unbelief is a reminder that God can handle our doubt and that the rationalist doesn't need to see, touch, or run a lab test in order to believe in the resurrected Christ. Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. This is not a plea to accept what often goes against reason, but an invitation to discover a faith that goes beyond reason. The example of Thomas is for the stubborn skeptic in all of us. He's talking to us there. Like, have we seen Jesus in person? Most of, I don't think any of us have seen like the risen Jesus in person. And yet Jesus, he, he works despite that. We have this faith. Jesus works through Thomas's doubt. He proves himself with this visible appearance, right? He shows up and proves himself. But then Jesus acknowledges, he says, hey, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Jesus is acknowledging there's gonna be an entire generation, us, who are going to believe in Jesus without actually seeing him. And that's pretty incredible that we believe in a guy that we've never seen. That's incredible, And yet we hold on to this belief because in wrestling with our doubt and our sin and our unbelief, Jesus is so ready to prove himself to us. And that's my heart for you guys tonight as I, as I ask the band back to come up and, and begin uh, to play. You know, I think, I think this is really just like a universal struggle. And I, I'm going to go off script a little bit just because I I just want to speak from the heart. I care so much that that people would see Jesus. And like, I want people to experience him. Like so many times with Christianity, it's, it's head knowledge. And it's just stuff that we know up here. But I, I want people to experience Jesus. And the thing is, like, I believe the Holy Spirit is here tonight. And I actually believe that for some of you, he might be inviting you to experience him, to feel his presence, to feel his power. And maybe some of you guys here, you've never felt that. Maybe for some of you guys here, it's all been that head knowledge. But sometimes just experiencing, like, the simple presence of Jesus can be so powerful in our life. It can be so incredible. Now here's the struggle. The reality is you, 
you could be here and you could come up, right? You could come up and respond to something like that where, where, where someone says, hey, come up and receive the presence of the Lord and you could come up and not feel anything. That's the hard thing. Like that has happened. Here's a story I can tell you. Um, I remember I was at a camp and this is up at Green Valley Lake and I was 17 up at high school camp. It's my last high school camp before graduation. And I love Jesus, but I was having a rough night because it was a night where like everybody was worshiping and the band was playing and the music was all emotional. And it was the last night of camp and that's when everyone cries. It's called cry night. <laughs> everyone gets like teenagers just get like, like all the hormones and emotions just overflowing at the end of, the, at the end of camp. It's like, the, this is our last chance to have an experience with God and people just get emotional. It's part that and part the spirit actually moving, a little half and half. Um, and I remember it was that night and the music's playing and, and, and all my friends are just like weeping and just having this like amazing experience with God. And I felt nothing, like absolutely nothing. And that scared me. I don't know if you, like if you've grown up in the church, if you've had those moments where you're like, am I saved? I had those all the time. Like I was a pastor's kid, generally was pretty good most of the time, but like all the time, like I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm really going to heaven. I messed up pretty bad yesterday. I'd have those doubts. And so all my friends are emotional and like I feel nothing. And I, that freaked me out because I'm actually an emotional guy. I cry at like the drop of a hat. Like I get teary eyed, like watching commercials. Like, like there's been times where I've just heard like a random like violin string and I'm just like, ah, you know, like I just, I don't know what's wrong with me. But um, yeah, it was that moment where just the emotions were flowing and I felt nothing. And so I was like, God, why don't I feel anything? Like, why are my friends having this experience? Like, am I actually saved? I don't know. And God was like, he spoke to me. It was weird. It was like one of those moments where like, it was very strong sense that he was speaking. And it was just like, go stand in the corner of the room. I was like, am I in timeout? Am I in trouble? Like, but I went in the corner and I was looking at all my friends. I was like, this is worse, God. Now I can see even more of the amazing things you're doing in people's life. I can see the whole room. Like, why, why, why don't I feel anything? And God spoke to me really clearly. And he was like, Aaron, my relationship with you has nothing to do with how you feel. It has everything to do with who I am and what I've done for you. And I've hung on to that my entire life. I just, I want, I want, so I I want, (laughs) I want you to experience him. And I want, if you don't, if you walk away tonight, you're like, I don't, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel anything magical or mystical or whatever. I want you to walk away with the knowledge that Jesus is here for you and he loves you and he's there for you in your darkest, most doubtful moment. He's not judging you. He's not hating you. If you're here and you're just like, you're just like, I don't don't even, like someone invited me. Like, I don't even believe any of this. Like, or maybe you grew up in the church and you're just like, I don't know if I believe anymore. This is, this is weird. He is so present and so willing to put up with your doubts and mine. His hand is outstretched. He's willing to suffer along with us. He's willing to walk that journey of deconstruction with any of you who are struggling with that. And that's just what I want you to know. I want you to know he's here, he's present, he loves you. So as the band plays, 
if any of you want to receive a fresh filling of God's spirit, if you want that, if you desire that, if you want to encounter him in that way, I just encourage you to to come up during worship and and I'll pray for you. And I'll pray for me too, because I need it. (laughs) I need it. We need that. We, We need to connect with Jesus. So let's, let's go into a time of worship. We love you, Jesus. We're so thankful you're here for us. We're so thankful you love us. And we just want you. Jesus, give us you. I want to pray for every single person in this room who struggles with doubt. Help them to know that they're loved. Help them to feel that they're loved. And I pray it wouldn't just be the emotionalism of of nice music and a room full of people. I pray that you would break through all of that and connect with people tonight. As we sing a few songs, help them to know that they're loved. And if there's anyone in this room struggling with doubt, help them to take their doubts to you and to say, Jesus, even if I don't understand it, I'm still willing to give you a chance. Please reveal yourself to me. Help people to be open to not say, I just don't believe, but to be like Thomas and say, you know, I'll believe, but I, I need Jesus to show me. I, Jesus, thank you that you honor people's hearts. Thank you that there are people here that have that heart of, I just, I need, I need you to show me, Jesus. I pray you would show them. If not tonight, then tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Help them to see you. We love you, Jesus, and we give you this time. In your name, amen.